one o'clock this afternoon, so we need to bustle back, grab a bite to eat, and get over there. So I didn't want you to think we were just going to come here and run, although that's what we're doing. But, <laughs> but there's a reason for it anyway. So my apologies for that, but uh, what a joy to, to be here. Two passages of scripture for this morning. First from the Gospel of John, and then also from the book of Acts. From John, we'll take a look at the first chapter, beginning to read at verse 35. As you may be aware, the Gospel of John opens with that tremendous prologue about the Word becoming flesh, and then it presents the ministry of John the Baptist. And the first thing it says is that on one day, John the Baptist was preaching, and he said, look, there's the Lamb of God, and he points to Jesus. And nothing happens, and he goes on. This scripture reading at verse 35 then picks up with the very next day. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them and asked, What do you want? And they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which, when translated, is Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, Follow me. <clears throat> Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Then from the third chapter of the book of Acts, from the first ten verses. Acts 3, beginning at verse 1. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. 
Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. And then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. And when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Let's pray. Lord God, even as your Son became flesh and dwelt among us, and then sent his Spirit to dwell within us, so may your Word penetrate us and dwell within us in these moments. Open our minds and our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. The TV show America's Got Talent has given birth to many careers, but also to some real catchphrases. And perhaps one of the most familiar was exclaimed by Judge Mel B. when she was overwhelmed by a brilliant, unexpected performance. And she would say, what just happened? I think that's an appropriate question for this morning. Five young people, Kenna, Janelle, Caitlin, Max, and Mackie, have taken the exciting step of publicly professing their faith. But what just happened? I think John 1 has an answer for us. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples, and when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. And when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Here's what happened. First, the two disciples made a commitment to know Jesus. When Jesus sees the two following them, he turns and his first words out of his mouth are a question. What do you want? Now that's a pretty penetrating question, isn't it? I mean, here they are face to face with Jesus and he's saying, what do you seek? What are you after? What do you desire? What do you want me to do for you? I mean, this really was a, a come to Jesus moment, wasn't it? They had to have an answer. They had to answer because the answer would determine their focus, their purpose for living, their perspective, and how they would spend their time and expend their energy. But notice that the men answered Jesus with a question, Rabbi, where are you staying? That sounds rather awkward, but it's more than a street number that they're looking for. They were saying, there's, there's so much we want to know and learn. John has said so much about you, such significant things about you. We want to know you. We're thinking that, that we should follow you. In other words, the, the disciples desired an opportunity for uninterrupted conversation with Jesus. And because this was rather difficult all <clears throat> out in the open and because of the hour of the day, they asked Jesus where he's staying, implying we'd like to go spend some time with you, just, just us and you. And in response to their question, Jesus gave a simple invitation. Come and see. Come. <clears throat> 
Come, spend time with me. Ask your questions. Let me help you find out who I am. Learn from me. Learn about me. Follow me. Spend your life with me. Come and you will understand. And whether they realized it or not, their desire to follow Jesus was but the beginning of their life adventure. It's the same this morning for Kenna, Janelle, Caitlin, Max, and Mackie. Jesus' call is to more than head knowledge. It's a call to a relationship. To know Jesus involves an intense, dedicated relationship. It's the difference between listening to somebody and living with somebody. There's a lot of people I'll listen to, but a lot of those people I'll listen to I sure don't want to live with. And Jesus calls them to more than listening. He calls them to a relationship. Jesus' invitations were always relational. Come, follow, believe. Love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Abide in me. Take up your cross daily and follow me. Jesus recognized that in spending time with him, in following him, in building a relationship with him, it leads to loving him. So to know Jesus, we must live with, abide in, and follow him. And that's a 24-7 kind of experience. It's a relationship that, that frames our minds and focuses our energy and dictates our priorities. It consumes us. It empowers us. It can't be casual. It can't be occasional. It has to be habitual and continual and intense. In fact, I think this statement states it poignantly. I want to be so full of Christ that if a mosquito bites me, it flies away singing, there is power in the blood. (laughs) Says it pretty well, doesn't it? To truly know and love Jesus is to be absorbed by and possessed by Jesus. Kenna, Janelle, Caitlin, Max, and Mackie, whether you realize it or not, As you've heard on several occasions now, your desire to follow Jesus is but the beginning of a lifelong adventure of a dedicated relationship with him. Spend time with him often and come to love him. The second thing that happens is when we know Jesus, we experience eternal life. Notice what happened the moment Peter met Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. When Jesus looked at Simon, he saw what no one else could see. He saw what this big, blustering, erratic fisherman Peter would become. A rock upon which he would build the church. A leader among the apostles. A martyr for the cause of Christ. From that moment on, Peter would never be the same again. Same thing happened to Nathaniel. He was transformed. When Jesus penetrated his heart, Nathaniel said, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And he was never the same again. Same thing happened to Saul of Tarsus. And he became Paul. And he later wrote, Our inner nature is being renewed every day. 
to know Jesus is to experience eternal life as a present reality. Jesus, as he prayed to his Father, said, Now this is eternal life. What is eternal life? That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I think that's Jesus' message to Nathaniel and to us. You will see heaven open and the angels going up and down and the Son of Man, the one who is the stairway between heaven and earth. The reference, of course, is to, to Jacob's dream where he was lying down and, and as he slept in the night, there was a ladder which stretched from heaven to earth and the angels were ascending and descending. Jesus is saying now, I am the stairway to heaven. I am the place where we meet God the Father. I am the house of God. When we are with Jesus, we are in the house of God and the angels are coming and going all around us though we see them not. We live in his presence and that's the essence of eternal life. We live in his presence and we are transformed. And when we live in his presence and are transformed, we begin to live like Jesus. Peter later wrote, everything that goes into a life of pleasing God has been miraculously given to us by getting to know personally and intimately the one who invited us to God. 2 Peter 1.3 Kenna, Janelle, Caitlin, Max, and Mackie. Your lives will be different tomorrow than they are today, whether you realize it or not. They'll be different next week than they are this week. They will be different next year than they are this year. And may you find your lives exciting as you come to know him deeper every day. But always remember all along the way, as Paul put it, God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Come to live like Jesus. And the third thing that happens when we choose to follow Jesus is that we develop a desire to lead others into the presence of Jesus. That's what we're called and empowered to do. Earlier this year, I received a birthday card from one of my sons and his family. And the front says, once upon a time, a very special person was born who was destined to change the world. And I thought, well, how don't I have a great son to think that much of me? And then you open it up, and on the inside it says, calm down, it's not you. It's Jesus. I think he'd want you to have a happy birthday, though. <laughs> I share that because there's only one who can come and change our lives, and it's Jesus. But I think, in fact, I know that he wants you and me to help him. He gives us the privilege of joining him in that work. But how do we do that? Go back to Andrew. Can you imagine his excitement during these hours with Jesus? Finally, the one whom John the Baptist had prophesied and predicted, the great Messiah had arrived, and now for these few hours, it was just the three of them together learning. It would have been easy for Andrew to have been wrapped up in that great moment, but he had a larger view. He so 
he was so convinced of the reality and truth of Jesus, but he also so loved his brother that he went and he got his brother and said, you need to come and meet Jesus. The first thing he did was go to his brother Simon and say, we have found the Messiah that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. In other words, Andrew was the first evangelist. He became an inviter who escorted others into the presence of Jesus. What an honor, the first to do so. But I find something very interesting about Andrew. In spite of that, he appears to be a second fiddle among the disciples. He was equal in rank to the other 11 disciples, but the best known fact about him that's said repeatedly in the Gospels is Andrew, comma, Simon Peter's brother, comma, even when he's doing something significant, it's Andrew, comma, Simon Peter's brother. Luke, in fact, never mentions his name. And think about it. Brother Peter, who denied Jesus three times, is mentioned first among the disciples. Peter, James, and John were invited to go up the mountain for the transfiguration. Not Andrew. Peter, James, and John were invited to be part of the inner circle who went a little further into Gethsemane to pray with Jesus. Not Andrew. And when Jesus was going to the house of Jairus to raise his daughter from the dead, guess who he took with him? Peter, James, and John. Not Andrew. I wonder if Andrew ever thought, what's the guy got to do to get some recognition around here? And yet, frankly, I'm, I'm glad for Andrew's plight because I think most of us often feel like second fiddles. I chuckle at it all, but I think about how many times I was a second fiddle in my life. When I went to high school, my sister was a couple of years older, and not only was she older than me, she was smarter than me. And I was known for a couple of years as, oh, you're Shirley's brother. I played cello in the orchestra. There were only two of us, and I was second chair. <laughs> you're with me. And Patty deserved first chair. I mean, she, she was junior symphony, and, and she, no matter how hard I had practiced, I was never going to overcome her. Although, although my senior year, I did make first chair because Patty quit the orchestra. <laughs> I left high school and I went to college. My roommate, the first year at Central College on Pella, Iowa, was a man whose family had a long history of relationship with the college, and so for at least half of that year, I was known as, oh, you're, you're Paul's roommate. I go to seminary, and my home pastor from here in Kalamazoo, the Reverend John Teen, was an adjunct professor, and he taught a couple of courses, and so I was initially known as, oh, you're from John Teen's church. I went to serve my first pastor out in Northwest Iowa in a large church as an associate pastor, and for a while I was known as, oh, you're, you're Jack's associate. Then I come and have the joy of serving here in my hometown of Kalamazoo, and some of you know my, my dad was a probate judge here in Kalamazoo, and so I come to Kalamazoo, and oh, you're the judge's son. <laughs> I used to tell my dad, wait till the day comes and they say, oh, you're the pastor's father, but that, that never happened. <laughs> but you see, the great thing about Andrew, and the reason I raise it all, is because he knew that second fiddles are important in the symphony of life. First chairs can't play all the notes and cover all the music, and without second fiddles, there's no harmony, there's no variety. 
Andrew understood that his life had its own important purpose. And so the first thing he did was go out and he found his brother and he brought him to Jesus. Think about it. Where would Simon have been without Andrew? Andrew did what he could do. And his one desire was to share the glory of Christ by escorting others into the presence of Jesus. Once we know and love Jesus, our transformed lives empower us to be on the lookout for opportunities to escort people into the presence of Jesus. To say to them, just, just come and see. Because each of us has notes to play that no one else will ever play. Songs to sing that no one else will ever sing. We have lives to touch that no one else can ever touch. To get some idea of how we lead others into his presence, let's go back now to Acts 3. Pentecost is over. The daily routines of life have been established. Peter and John are headed to the temple for afternoon prayers, and they're addressed by a beggar, a man crippled from birth who begged at this particular city gate every day. And on this day, he asked Peter and John for money. Now keep in mind, this beggar had been asking for gold and money for 40 years, but he was still in the same condition. But little did he know, however, that on this day, he would meet a person with ample provision. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Peter said, look at us. And so the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. And then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have but what I have, I give you. Peter and John had a new capacity for faith. He and John now looked beyond what, what Jesus could do to them and for them to what he could do through them. They now knew that with Jesus, nothing was impossible. He had taught them he was the vine and they were the branches. He had empowered them by pouring his life into them. And so Peter did not hesitate. Silver or gold I do not have, but what I have, I give you. And what did he have to give? A Savior with adequate power. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly, instantly, the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet, and he began to walk. Silver or gold I do not have, but what I have, I give you. In the name of Jesus, walk. See, in those days, people believed that a name represented all the power, authority, and characteristics of the person bearing the name. And so to call on the name of Jesus was to call on Jesus' power, authority, and character and bring it to bear upon the beggar. It's sort of like every now and then we'll, we'll see an ad where there's some celebrity who says, tell them I sent you, tell them so-and-so sent you. The idea is that if you go and use their name, you might get a special deal. So Jesus is saying, I'm going to give you a special deal if you use my name. Whatever you ask in my name will be given to you. Mention my name. Call forth my authority and my power. And so when faced with those in need, reach out in the name of Jesus. Perhaps you're thinking, well, I believe what you say, but 
what do I have to give? <clears throat> I don't have the gift of healing. I, I, I couldn't bring healing to anyone. Here's the key. The word Luke uses for feet when describing the healing is the word from which we get our word basics. Luke is telling us that Peter gave the beggar the basics of life. He gave him Jesus, and Jesus did the healing. He's a Savior with adequate power. So give what you have and do what you do in the name of Jesus. Freely and boldly give your, your Christ-like loving smile. Or maybe you're the one who can offer the divine word of encouragement. Or you are good at offering your comforting presence or your spirit-filled gift of hospitality or your biblical wisdom, your godly love, your loyal friendship, your listening ear. Maybe you are gracious and understanding. Maybe you have a bent towards acts of kindness. You have a heart for children. You have time for tutoring or skills for building. Whatever it is, you do it. In the name of Jesus. You say, here I go, Jesus. I'll do my thing. You do yours. Sometimes, we just need to be lovingly present, knowing Jesus is present with us. For a number of years, when I served in Grand Rapids, I had the opportunity to be one of the chaplains for the Walker Police Department. One week when I was on call, my beeper went off and I called the police department and they gave me an address to report to, and I said, as I always did, can you give me a little bit of an idea of what happened so I can mentally get myself ready? And all she said was, it's a triple homicide. And my heart sank. I immediately began to think, what in the world can I bring to a scene like this? I got to the scene and got a little bit of the backstory, and... In essence, a mother and two of her children had been brutally killed, and the suspect was her son, who was there being questioned. The father was a truck driver, and he was out driving truck, and they, they had notified him but hadn't told him why. They just told him he had to come home. He wasn't going to be there for a while, so I had some time to try to figure out, what can I do? What can I bring to this situation I prayed a lot. I thought a lot. The father showed up, and I still had no idea. A friend of his had been, a, a friend of the father had gained access and permission to come inside to the scene so he could be there to help. When the father showed up, one of the officers and the friend and I got into a police cruiser. It's the only place we had to meet. And I had been hoping I could get in the back seat so I could be face to face, as, as Peter was with a beggar, with the father. but. The friend jumped in the back seat, so I was sitting in front of the father, and my conversation was always over my shoulder looking back at him. The policeman and the friend threw it, and I contributed when and where I could. I didn't know if any of the other three were Christian. I had heard that the man had, with his family, on occasion attended a church in the area. After some time in the cruiser, we decided it was time for the man to go and spend the night with his friend and his friend's family, and so we got out of the cruiser. And As the father was leaving, all I could say to him was, if you ever need anything, know that I'm here. 
And as he walked away, I began to think, what good did I do, Lord? Father got about 10 yards away. And suddenly he stopped and he turned around and he came back towards me. Threw out his arms and wrapped them around me and hugged me and said, thank you. What just happened? In a time of loving, living, and leading, a Savior with adequate power had transformed a moment. That's what today is all about. In the name of Jesus, whatever we ask. Let's pray. Lord God, we have not been saved to be sensations, but to be servants. We thank you for five people who have been an example to us this morning of what it means to say, yes, I want to follow you. And we thank you what happens when we follow you even though, as it's already been said, it's not always easy. Lord God, speak to each one of us. Give us boldness and courage to go forth in the presence of and with the name of Jesus and watch you transform lives and the world. To you be all the glory and praise. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.